my, my, a proverb from chapter 7, because today's the 7th, right? Yeah. I was checking to make sure I'm on track here. Okay, so I picked verse 4. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. That's a great... Of course, I used to have tussles with my sister, so I don't know if that's the right image or not there, but um, one of four kids, three sisters, and I survived. And I survived. You know, I'm a survivor. <laughs> um, you are my sister. Okay, that's an interesting concept for me. I have to work on that. So I've been thinking about Jesus, the guy. And I don't mean to be in any way um, have lack of appropriate decorum and respect for you know, the Christ, the, the living God. But I've been thinking about him, the man, the guy you hang out with. Because i got guys I hang out with in life. And I suppose that to some degree, the people that I hang out with are maybe you know, people that I have a lot in common with or that you know, we, for whatever reason, you pick people to hang out with in your lifetime. And I was just thinking about Jesus. What kind of a guy would he be to hang out with? Um, I think we have this image that, well, it's you know, serious kingdom forever business 100% of the time. And I suppose that's always present with the Savior. But inside there also is a man with interests. And it's, I figure he's got a sense of humor. I know he must have a sense of humor because, you know, look where I'm standing right now. It's like, it's like you know, if you... Anyway, so... But I, but I want to know. I want to know something about Jesus the guy, his pursuits, his interests. What would he be like to hang out with? And I, I think we can figure that out, some things about that, um, as we understand why he came. We can, we can figure a lot about him, about why he came. That tells us about who he was. Um, you know, we, we know that he came... To, um, so that we may have life and have life to the full. We, he, he came to pay the price of sin and give his life up as a ransom for many. He, he came not to serve, uh, to, to be served, but to serve. And, um, you know, there's, we know a lot about why he came, and there's a lot of amazing reasons that he came, really, to show the love of his Father to you and me. I mean, he, we know why he came. We can talk about that. But there's not a lot in the Scripture that talk about how he came. I mean, what his temperament and personality and interest, there's not a lot in there, but there's some. So today I want to look at how he came. You know, what was he like? How did he go about life? And you might, you know, make the argument, well, he came preaching and he came teaching and he came healing, and you'd be correct. The scripture says he did those things. But we can even find, if we look carefully, a finer degree of resolution, see more detail. Um, and one of those places that we can see some of that is in Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Um, here's the context. Um, Jesus is having this, he's having this one-on-one again with the, the Pharisees. My verse says, the Pharisees and the lawyers, if you're a lawyer, please forgive me, but these were people who were experts in the law, don't mean to say anything, but he's having an argument with Pharisees and lawyers, and um, it was one of those arguments that, you know, if I say left, you're going to say right. And if I say right, you're going to say left. I can't win with you people. I mean, that's kind of the part of the discussion. But his, his, his example here was about, he's talking about John the Baptist. And, and he makes one comment, one sentence where he talks about himself. Luke 7, verse 34, he says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Pretty simple statement. He's, he came eating and drinking, eating and drinking. In fact, there were times that he was eating and drinking, and some people accused him of being a drunkard. Some people accused him of being a glutton. 
And he wasn't either. Those people were looking for, they had an axe to grind. They were looking for a point. But the point was that he said, hey, I mean, this is not literal, but he, he's saying, hey, I hang out with people. I like to spend time with people over food, and I don't mind having... He, he is the guy who took water and turned it into the best wine, okay? I'm not telling you he was, had a drinking problem. I'm telling you he was eating and drinking wine. He, 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 he would do the kinds of things that we do socially. Um, and, uh, and, and so he, he, that was what he chose to say to describe a little bit about who he was, and, uh, you know, so he came, eating and drinking. I mean, I know some of you right now are saying, eating and drinking. Well, that, I didn't realize I had so much in common with Jesus. You know, <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. I'm, I'm more like him. So, um, I mean, I want to recap for you. This is a very short series we're on, um, three weeks. The first week we talked about, these are, these are ways that Jesus tells us to love people that don't come so easily to us, okay? Week number one, we talked about the fact that Jesus forgives sinners. And how obvious is that? but how difficult it can be for us sometimes to actually forgive people, for us to forgive. I mean, we just, it just can be a challenge. Secondly, we talked about the fact that Jesus decided when he looked around and he saw a group of guys who had already clean feet, but kind of dirty hearts, selfish hearts, he decided that the way to serve them was to wash their already clean feet so that it would change their selfish hearts. So it was serving, which doesn't come necessarily too easily, easily to us. Sometimes we, we, it's hard for us. Today I want to talk about um, the way that Jesus loved people by building relationships. Building relationships. What, what was Jesus like? How did he come? He came eating and drinking. In, um, in our family, eating has kind of changed <laughs> over the years. When we first got married, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so we figured the way to approach life was with simple foods. Like, I mean, if you had looked back when we first got married and tried to figure out what the four basic food groups were, they were like popcorn, hamburger gravy, Coke, and pizza. I mean, those were the four basic food groups. And, um, I mean, to this day, I know it's been a long time since we've had hamburger gravy. I still like it, but I think it's kind of been banned from our lexicon. Um, but, like, I mean, I think there was a two-week time period when we, um, we, were, it was, we were just barely married, uh, it's less than a year, and the Winter Olympics was that year. And um, we would both, we had different jobs. We'd come home from work, and I think we had dinner and the Olympics, popcorn for dinner and the Olympics for like two weeks in a row. I mean, I don't know what to say, why I'm telling you that, but it has nothing to do with it. But now it's grown to more like salads and green things, occasionally with some bacon, because everything's better. You people have to warm up here, because you're making me... <laughs> okay, so our son Joseph, who you know has a great sense of humor, brought us this bottle of... You know the syrup that they use when you make a latte in different flavors? Bacon. Bacon. A bacon latte. Okay. No, there's just no way with it. That's completely wrong. And in the New Testament, um, you know, meals were more than just the time where you would receive nutritional sustenance. It was, it was, it was, it was more than just you enjoyed the food, especially something that you liked the flavor of. It was more than that. It was, it was an event. And then it was an event that could last for hours and uh, go on. And, and it was a time that maybe you would invite people to be with you, that, people that you knew and that you loved. And sometimes it was a time that you would invite people you didn't know. And um, the purpose was the purpose of it was more than just sustenance. It was to develop relationship. It was for fellowship. Meals were used that way. And there was kind of a divine nature 
to meals even. I mean, the, many of the people believed that you best experienced God when you were um, having a meal with somebody. That there was something about experiencing God there. Um, we don't think about it so much like that, I think, anymore. But um, a lot of people believe that. And if you look um, at the last book in the Bible, the Revelation, you're going to see a lot of comments in there about banquets in heaven, which is good news to me. I mean, I mean, Jesus came eating and drinking, and apparently that will continue. I don't know what will happen um, in, in, in those days, but there was a lot of first century people who believed that you experience God best in a community setting, in a group setting. You experience God best when you're breaking bread and you're doing life together. And that was the very setting that Jesus chose for, um, you know, the night before he was, the night he betrayed, the night before he went to the cross. And he's together with his best friends. And uh, he decided, and that whole thing centered around a time where he's breaking bread with them. And so we're going to see some things. And and one of the very best pictures of this happening is in Acts chapter 2, which is a great picture of, of community of first century followers. And, and if we look at this little passage we'll read in a minute through the lens of, of community, through the lens of fellowship, um, you're going to see a theme here of breaking bread. So Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Notice they were devoted, okay? They, were, they devoted themselves. It didn't just happen occasionally or by accident. They, devoted, you know, they were devoted to these spiritual disciplines of fellowship and, and breaking bread together. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So they were, these people were constantly doing life together. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Why would they do that? I mean, that's, that's what, what was going on? And I, I, I think that the, the, the more they were together, the more they cared about other people. The more, the more they cared about you know, each other. And when there was a need, they would literally sell something they had to, to meet that need. It goes on to say, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And you can see from this passage the, the, the fellowship and, and the commitment and the, and the loving nature of this group of Jesus followers. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That is an amazing statement. They, see how the Lord tied that in together in one sentence? They're, those two concepts are, are tied together by the Holy Spirit. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with sincere, glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And because of that, they enjoyed the favor of people. Wow. People, that's other people that weren't there for dinner. They enjoyed the favor of that. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is an amazing thing going on there that we can be a part of. I mean, it's an amazing. And, it, and, it, and it, this whole passage has inspired a lot of people over the years. In fact, it's inspired some people way out of balance. Um, I mean, if it, within my lifetime... Within my lifetime, I've seen opposite extremes of this passage, people trying to apply it to their lives, from um, uh, hippie communes, where um, it was a lifestyle. Some of you went, yeah, I used to live in one, yeah, I suppose that. Um, and all the way to a very damaging uh, end of the spectrum, where there would be very controlling cults. Um, many of you are too young to remember this, or wouldn't, this would have been after, after you were, or before you were born, but some of you will remember what I'm talking about, uh, where a cult... Um, called the People's Temple, a guy, a leader named Jim Jones, led 
all of these people to a place, and they really felt like they were going to emulate this passage. But it was really a demonically led deal, and uh, they ended up committing this huge mass suicide, 300 children included. And that was the event from which people get today's phrase, did you drink the Kool-Aid? You know, it is. I mean, if you wonder where that phrase came from, it was a concoction, um, uh, a cocktail that included cyanide that they took 900 people. And so that was a group of people that were led astray because of misunderstanding what this passage is saying to some degree. And um, I, I really don't believe that this passage is promoting a form of cultural government. Okay, I mean, I, I don't think that's what God's trying to do so much as, as trying to promote godly character and, and a godly heart and having godly generosity, um, you know, in, in, among followers. I think it is promoting, uh, Matthew, what's, what Jesus was saying in Matthew 22, which is to love your neighbors, love them, do this kind of stuff, hang out with them and, uh, and do that. So, so the rhetorical question, and every time I read this, this, this kind of leaps off the mirror at me. Is this what your life looks like, Terry? Is this, does this go on in your life? And, um, you know, because I know it can. I know something that's, that the Holy Spirit is stirring here is, is, is available to me. Is it there? And I'm not sure sometimes. I mean, I, I, I mean, these people were devoted to a community um, of other people. They were devoted to that. They were, they, they were committed to, sp- to the spiritual discipline so much that there was an overflowing of what was good in this whole thing that people on the outside would look in and say, ah, I want some of what's going on there. And scripture says, and the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. They watched this stuff going on in people's lives and said, I, I want in on that. And people got saved because of it. And I, I, I love that picture. And um, I asked myself, is that what, does it, does what I have look like that? I think for most people with that question, we'd look at it and go, well, maybe, sometimes, you know, sometimes. But for most of us, maybe most of the time, no, I'm not sure that I have that kind of relationship in my life. And, and it's, 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 it's hard. We're busy. We, we have a lot of demands on our time, and the circumstances of our culture are always pulling and stressing. And it, it's harder today to have community than it was in the past. At least we want to tell ourselves that, but I really believe it is. It's harder today to build that kind of intentional community um, with the demands on our time and our schedule and the, just the way that life flies along. And sociologists, you know, people who study culture, have studied the topic of um, w- what is it that has prevented people from building this kind of community? And there's, there's, there's actually a list of things that, that they think have happened that have caused this. Interesting list. I'm going to give you some of the items that sociologists say are why it's harder to have uh, developed relationships than it used to be. Okay? One of the highest things on the list, the air conditioner. <laughs> the air conditioner. You know, I mean, this may not affect us where in August it's 68 degrees. Okay? <laughs> But in parts of the country where it's hot right now, and it's been hot for months, before the air conditioner, it would get really hot in the evening, and what would be typical for people would be they would go and sit out on the front porch, right? And so everybody's out on their front porch. It's kind of like you might not be next to each other, but you have neighbors, and you, hey, neighbor, and you whatever. That relationship was different 
the air conditioner comes along and, and it's hot out there and it's cool inside, let's go inside. And so there was a retreating away from what was just a common cultural place of interaction, the front porch. Uh, another, another thing that has made relationship harder is the attached garage. Right? Okay? It used to be it, garages were a separate building and you would drive into your garage and get out of your car and have to walk outside your garage to go back into your house. Hi, neighbor. They're out on the front porch because they don't have AC yet, right? <laughs> Hi, neighbor. Gone. Now it's a connected garage, and we just go in the garage and go right straight in the house. We don't even go around and don't see anybody outside. In fact, with the garage door opener, you don't even have to get out of your car, right? Okay, okay, I love these things. I mean, I don't want to walk in the rain and open my garage door. I want to push the button, and I want to know my wife is inside and safe when it's dark. You know, it's a garage door opener, great thing. That's another one. Another one that has, another thing that's changed relationship is a fence. Fence, common. Um, it was common to have fences, but um, you didn't typically have to fence your neighbors out. And when you'd see fences, they were low, kind of to keep the dog in and the kids in. Um, but not so much to stop the conversations that would take place. And, uh, and now you don't even see your neighbor. And if you have enough money, you even live in a fenced community where you drive in to keep people out of the community, right? I mean, I mean, these things aren't evil, but technology kind of marches on and it makes our lives easier. And remember, these things are all blessings to make our life easier. But they also have, over time, made relationships harder to develop in the neighborhood. Here's another one, the answering machine. <laughs> Used to be if your phone rang, you wanted to answer it because who knows who it might be. Could be Publishers Clearinghouse. They're coming, to, you know... You know, and, and, and when the answering machine came out, you no longer had to answer a blind f- phone call. You could screen it. Hello, this is Terry. Can't come to the phone right now. Please leave your message, and I'll call you back when I can. Beep. Hello, Mr. Fisher. I'm not answering that. Anybody who calls me Mr. Fisher wants money or I'm in trouble, I'm not answering the phone. And we even screen our calls. Or the worst Mr. Fisher would be trying to get a hold of my dad, which means I'm really in trouble. Anyway... <laughs> Then it got even more efficient with caller ID. You don't even have to listen to the message anymore. I don't know that number, or I do. I'm not answering. I'll deal with it later. And then email. We used to, you know, meet our neighbors maybe at the mailbox. A postman would go by, and everybody would go out to get their mail, and it was an interaction. I mean, I still do that some at my house, because I go out there to empty the recycle paper that's delivered there for me to go right straight into the recycle bin, because that's pretty much... The only thing that comes in my mailbox anymore is stuff I don't care, care to receive. And technology has kind of uh, moved us from mail to email, from friends to e-friends, from relationships to e-relationships. And with social media, you, you, you have friends that you never actually talk to. You never actually spend time with them and, um, you know, we, we, we enjoy Facebook. It's fun and, and so forth. The thing is we believe about Facebook that it helps us to stay connected. And we want to be connected, and that's a good thing. But in reality, Facebook really doesn't help us stay connected. It helps us stay informed. And it's not the same. It's just not quite the same. Here's another one. Today, you can buy virtually anything online. You know, it used to be you had to get in your car and go somewhere and interact with people to buy something. Now you can click, 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 and it shows up at your door. You don't even have to talk to the delivery dude. 
if you don't want to. And, um, you know, I mean, in, in, in a life, you really, you don't even have to actually see people anymore. You, you double tap on their Instagram image, two tap, tap, they get a like, they know you care. <laughs> and so we read about their community. Um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. And we ask ourselves, did that, does that really happen anymore? And I think the answer for most of us for most of the time is not really doesn't as much as I'd like it to. And the side effect of all of these improvements to life can be not so good. Um, So I have this same passage of scripture we read before and I've edited it a little bit. So you're going to get the current version. Now, let me be clear. This is not the Bible, okay? This is not the Bible, but it kind of maybe is what this passage would look like if we looked at it today. They were devoted to themselves and occasionally got to church when they had time. No one was filled with awe because there were no wonders and miraculous signs performed by all the believers. Very few of the believers were together and they had almost nothing in common because they had no real time for each other. If they sold their possessions and goods, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run, kept to themselves, and were too rushed to enjoy one another or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other, uh, which caused them to feel very empty and alone. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few people were ever saved. Ouch. (laughs) If you want to say ouch, it's okay. I mean, you can. I I do. And This is not me. I'm not trying to say we'll substitute the scripture here. I'm just saying this is probably... It's a little bit, it's, it's a slight exaggeration, but maybe it gets a little bit closer to home for me than I really want to admit. And, you know, I, here's the thing. I want you to see that you really do have an opportunity for something that is so much better than that. We really do have that opportunity. And we're going to talk about that someday. And it involves loving each other in a way that she, Jesus chose to love in a way that he did. In this series, we talked about you know, the hardest ways. We talked about Jesus forgives, and it, you know, when it doesn't come easy for us, Jesus forgives, and, and, and we sometimes need to fight that pain down, and that was a couple weeks ago. He serves, um, and it doesn't come too easily when our selfish hearts don't want us to serve. And he, build, he builds relationships, which, which should come a little easier than the other two. After all, you know, who doesn't like to eat, and who doesn't like fellowship? The thing is, we live in this really busy, busy world. And it's a world under a curse. And the world is getting more savage every day. And so it's getting harder and harder. We live, we live in a world that today highly values independence. You know, I want to be fan- financially independent. I, I, I want to be relationally independent. I want to have to need anybody. And in fact, our country almost worships independence. Um, and, and that's a problem. That's a problem. It's a problem to be a follower of Jesus Christ because to be a follower of Christ is, is, is directly opposed to being independent. <laughs> to be a, a follower of Christ, to be a Christian, is to actually be dependent. Okay? Do you realize that you can't be a Jesus follower and be independent? Do you realize you, you, you cannot save yourself? You just can't. 
You cannot make it yourself. You cannot be independent and be a follower of Christ. And if, to be a follower, you've got to be dependent completely on the grace of Jesus, completely dependent on the presence of God. He made us to be dependent on him and on each other. And we're incomplete without each other. There's a spiritual axiom that I think most Christians would accede to. You'd say, yeah, it's true, and that's to be saved. You have to have a personal relationship with Christ. Well, why is that? Well, because no one here can inherit grandma's faith. You cannot inherit your dad's faith or your, your spouse's faith. faith. You've got to have your own faith and relationship with Christ to be saved. And, and, and Scripture doesn't, not so much on the topic of salvation, but, he, but bears out our, 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 we cannot be independent because God engineered us to need relationships with each other. And um, the best experience, you know, we, we, we best experience the presence of God together when we're in the context of community. So I have two simple thoughts for you about how to share the love of Jesus by building relationships. Two simple thoughts, um, and we're, we're going to be done. Two thoughts. I want to encourage you, one, to share the love of Jesus with other believers in church. First one is at church. The author of the Hebrews talks about this in... Um, in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24, and he says this about us relating to each other. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur one another on. So stop there for a second. You know, do you and your friends ever, you know, say in your conversation, hey, how can we help somebody else out? How, how can we serve our community? How can we serve somewhere in the body of Christ, in the church? I think most commonly, when I hang with my friends, I mean, they're good people. But the most common things I hear are, hey, let's go you know, fishing, or let's go on a hike, or let's go, you know, let's go shopping, or let's go to a game. Let's have some fun. There's nothing wrong with those things. That's building relationship. But the Holy Spirit here is saying us, spur one another on. Well, that word spur, I, I feel like it's getting kicked by something like a pointy metal star, right? I don't know if we should do that to each other. Probably shouldn't suggest that. But, but to promote, to encourage, to prod each other on to the place of saying, hey, you know, love and good deeds. You know, imagine being a part of a conversation where your group says, hey, how can, let's, let's make a difference. Let's, you know, how can we serve somewhere and make a difference? And I'm, I'm nudged by that personally by the Lord. How can we show the love of Jesus? And that's basically what the Holy Spirit's telling us to do there. It's telling us to, to prod our friends and say, hey, let's, let's, let's be positive and do something positive here. goes on, verse 25. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is talking about church attendance. You know, not giving up meeting together. So this is one of the biggest challenges, I think, um, in churches in America today. People giving up and meeting together to be at church, to be you know, in worship at church. And our presence matters to the Holy Spirit. Now, aren't you guys all glad you're here to hear this message because you're going, I don't need to hear this. These empty seats. Lord, we pray over these poor sinners. I always love it when uh, the preacher would preach something and I have happened to be okay on that topic. I'm thinking, yeah, move on to something I need to hear. You know, so. um, Yeah. But presence matters. Our presence really does matter. There's power. I mean, if I, if, for example, if I tell you, hey, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll pray for you, there's power in that. 
it's good to know someone's going to pray for you. But it's different if I say, hey, I'm coming over and I'm going to get after this. And, and we lock hands and we're together and we're united. There is something different about presence. There's power in presence. You know, imagine, I mean, <laughs> this is a silly example, but, you know, imagine there's a new episode of Downton Abbey coming on tonight. It's over with, ladies. Let it go. It's done. Okay. But anyway, pretend there's a new episode of Downton Abbey on tonight. And so I say, hey, honey, okay, I know you want to watch Downton Abbey. I will watch it with you. And so um, she decides, okay, well, I'm going to, she says to herself, I'm going to watch it in the kitchen because I want to use the kitchen counter to work on all of my crafts. And they're all over the counter. And I'm thinking, well, I don't like that little TV, and I don't want to sit at the stool, so I like the TV screen over it. So I'll be in the family room, and one of our kids is, in, is there. And well, I'm going to be in the living room. And so we're watching Downton Abbey together, all of us in separate rooms of the house. Makes no sense. It's kind of a silly example, but um, one of the biggest challenges, I think, for the American church today that we face is that according to um, studies that have been done, the average Christian... The average Christian attends church once every three or four weeks. The average. I know there's maybe, uh, we're not average here, um, but I mean, average is average. And I tell you, and this is personal comment, I just don't know what to do with that as a pastor. I mean, I'm, I mean you can all breathe a sigh of relief. You're, you're, you're at church right now, and, and praise God that you see the value in that. But, but these, this is, these studies are something that pastors are talking about because they look at that and they go, okay, an hour a month. That's, you know, for a lot of us, we'll spend more than an hour a day on social media, but an hour a month as a pastor, I, I, I don't know how to help transform a life in an hour a month. I really don't. And, and my role here isn't to transform anybody's life. My role here is to help lead us in a place where we will have the opportunity to worship the living God and where um, I have some responsibility to bring before you and teach from God's word and let the word of God transform and I just don't know how to do this in an hour a month. I mean, I really try. By the way, on the point of worship, this is a complete rabbit trail. Um, I was sitting over there this morning appreciating. Did you pick the songs? Way to go. I'm not surprised that you picked the songs. But um, as the pastor here, I in the last six years, I have never taken the place um, to the worship team, the worship pastor or them saying, here are the songs that you're going to sing. And I would pick them out for you. It would be terrible worship. <laughs> if I picked them out because I would be stuck in songs that I grew up with that I knew that were the style that I would have chosen. And there's nothing wrong with those. But instead, people who God has anointed to lead us in worship spend time saying not, not what notes go together and what keys will work together, but Lord, where's the wind of the Spirit going? And so we learn new songs. I, I'm kind of a curmudgeon. I like to sing songs I already know. And if they didn't make me learn new songs, I would not learn new songs. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. I know I appreciate that. And, 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 and the style of songs today are different than they were 20 years ago. You know, it was eight words was a verse, and I had it memorized after the second time around. Now eight words is one line of a multi-long thing. But here's the thing. You have me singing songs I don't know, I'm not familiar with, but what's coming out of my mouth is so full of hope. It's so full of God's word and truth. I need to be in the church being led by you guys, your, de- your department, in worship. 
And that does things in me that I can't get if I go home and I plug in the songs that I want to listen to. Because they're mostly country and they were worshipful anyway. <laughs> anyway, rabbit trail over with. Thank you for the way that you, you lead. And I appreciate that. Pastor Eric and Alec, you're doing a great job. And, and um, so have no idea where I left off um, except to say thank you for, for, for leading us in worship. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about that one hour a month thing and I just don't know what to do. But I, the thing is, I understand that because we're busy. We're not evil. We just miss sometimes because we're busy and I understand that. And I, I just would say, listen, we're busy too. Lisa and Terry are busy too. I was thinking about this and as I was prepping for this, I thought, well, I'll prove it to you and I'll give you a list of all the stuff just a typical week, last week, what I was busy doing. And Lisa said, no, you're not going to do that. She gives me good advice. She says, they don't need to hear all that kind of stuff. I'm just going to tell you we're busy. And if you think that we're not busy because we just show up and do an hour or two on Sunday mornings and we sleep the rest of the week, oh, there's golf. We do the golf thing. Um, um, that would just, you just don't understand necessarily full-time ministry. It's very demanding. And um, here's the thing. Yet we will to. We choose to be in church every Sunday, worshiping God and, and, and hearing what he has to say from his word. And I know it's easier to say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait a second, time out. It's your job. You have to be here Sunday. That's true. But, it, but this was our lifestyle before we were ever in ministry, and it will be long after we're out of ministry, if I don't die in ministry, <laughs> which would be okay. But I mean, I mean the reason that it was the, uh, 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 who we were then and it will for always be is because it's a priority. <laughs> yeah, it's a priority. And I, I just want to say to you people, you know, you're here, way to go. This is not me slapping the church down because of the church attendance. I think we're, we're, the church is healthy. We're doing good. It's summertime where the numbers are where they, it's good. We're healthy. But when the Holy Spirit mentions this passage, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, you know, there will always be something else to do on a Sunday morning. There will always be some reason not to be in God's house. And I'm going to say something. Buckle up for just a very direct statement. And I'm not saying this to you because I see it in you. I just don't want you ever to get there. So buckle up. This will be real quick. If you often find yourself trumping church for something else, you know, the weather's crummy. I don't want to get out of bed. The weather's too good. I don't want to miss it, so I'm going to go outside instead. I mean, if, if you're tired or, you're, you, the, the, you know, the game went too late or you're going to be out of town because you decided to go out of town. If you always trump church for something else, but you never, ever trump the something else because you want to be in the house of God, then you need to not be surprised when your children grow up and they don't value community. You need to not be surprised when your children grow up and they walk away from Jesus because they were not taught the value of being in, God's, in, in his father's house. And I believe there is something, you know, our presence really matters. Amen. It really matters. Not for a church attendance report, but because of what the Lord does in your todays and in your tomorrows. Amen. And um, I think our presence matters. If you want something better, then you have to choose something better. I believe there's something better, and that is to be committed to God in worship together. And, you know, we, surprisingly, Lisa and I have this conversation sometimes with people um, where we say, yeah, we, we can do that, but 
we have to, here's our, here's our hard limit because we will be in the house of the Lord um, on Sunday. And, um, and so we have that conversation. And people understand it, not because we're in ministry, but because it's a, love, it's a loving thing to explain to people. And we see some sense of responsibility to lead people whom the Lord has given us the opportunity to influence. And you're in the same place. Not telling you to tell, preach people how to live, but as you are already doing what is right and righteous, don't be afraid to explain it to people. It's not a religious, I got to be in church thing. It's a, this is good for me. This is, helps me become a better person. It helps me have peace in life. This helps me grow. I don't want to miss this. You know, the marriage will be playing again or whatever. Um, you know, those kinds of things. And I have a VCR at home. I, I, don't, I don't miss any Seahawks games that I don't want to miss, right? Anyway, it's kind of funny. I sadly look every year at the Seahawks schedule for how many home games they have. Because the home games, they're fun, but it hurts people when they miss church. To, to watch the game live. Okay, off the topic. I'll get off, get off. Sorry, I'll put that, um, that little bully pulpit thing away. Um, <laughs> I believe there's something better. And the something better includes us worshiping with other people. It includes us praying for other people. It includes us hurting with other people. It includes us sharing with other people. It includes us you know, being involved in the lives of other people. Jesus came eating and drinking. Eating and drinking. He was always in relationship with other people. Share the love of Jesus with other believers at church. And the second thing, uh, I encourage you to share the love of Jesus with a committed community of people. Um, with the people that you do life with. With the people that you do life with. You know, I'm, I, I get the honor of... Um, I, I've been in ministry long enough now that I, sometimes I, I get to do leadership classes and seminars with other pastors. And um, I've, I've done it several times at district conferences and so forth. And uh, I did one a couple of weeks ago where some pastors, um, North Seattle, Foursquare pastors mostly, asked me to come up and, and do a couple of hours on leadership. And so um, we're up there, and this is a couple of weeks ago, middle of the week, and probably 35 pastors. Um, and I do this presentation, and then I, I always leave time for Q&A because they always think up something that I didn't cover. And, and um, they'll typically say to me, you know, when it comes to leaders and getting your leadership team to be healthy, what, um, I'll get the question, what's your secret? They'll ask that question. I have a secret and it's not magic. Um, but um, I always take them to a philosophy, of a theology that I have that comes out of First Chronicles chapter 12. There's this big, long description of David's mighty men. This is good for a men's meeting sometime. But it's David's Mighty Men. And it talks about all these different guys, and it lists their names. And um, it's an interesting list. There are some pretty cool things in there. And the sons of Issachar, who understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. And, and there's all this description of all these mighty men. It names them by name. And it, always, it keeps repeating these phrases that I won't make you turn to right now, but it repeats these phrases um, that they knew how to handle shield and spear. They knew how to keep ranks. They knew how to stay in ranks. They knew how to hold ranks. And the reason that's relevant is when those people would go to battle back in those days, it was savage. And it wasn't this like, okay, here's my screen. This guy is 18 miles over and six miles down. Okay, 
got my computer program, push the button, and I see a video image of something, and it gets closer and closer, and then dust. It wasn't like that. This was bloody. The guy you were fighting, you could smell his breath, and it was savage. And it was everything you could take to do battle with the one standing right in front of you. You didn't want to have to worry about somebody coming from over here or over here or back here. So they would, they would literally advance in ranks. And David's mighty men were able to keep ranks, which means that as the battle wore on, they stuck together. You didn't have to worry about your right and your left. There would be something about a community. And so you go through that whole passage, and it's a terrible, savage time of warfare. And that whole passage ends with the most unexpected phrase. For there was joy in Israel. Joy in Israel. Not because they were at war. Not because they were skilled. But because they could keep ranks. Because they could build and hold a community. And it saved their lives. And I I use that as an example. Excuse me, of what is the secret about leadership? People who can keep ranks. That's not a bunch of yes people. It's about people who choose to invest themselves in relationship and community. And it doesn't happen by mistake. It's, it's, it's joy in Israel. And I, I say, I pursue this. I pursue it in, you know, not only in my ministry and where I work, but, but, in, but at a personal level as well. I mean, I, mean, um, I can tell you if, if, I, if I looked at the community that I'm a part of in my life, the friendships that I have, that Lisa and I have as couples, and that I have as a man with other men, most of them go back decades. And um, they, they just, they, those relationships got built. Most of them sprang from some interconnection I've had at some point in the body of Christ. Met somebody at church. Um, we, started, we have started small groups over time. And um, we've been in small groups, frankly, that churches said, sign up for this and be a part of it. And we've done it. And they've had all kinds of different styles. And they've come and they've gone. But we have... And we're in a small group right now that has nothing to do with having been started by a church. It has to do with a couple who came to us and said, hey, we're going to start a small group. Do you and Lisa want to be in it? And here's what we're going to do. And we said, you are willing to have pastors in your small group? And they said, yep. And um, 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 so, I mean, we're in a relationship that's, that's, that has nothing to do with being formed by the church, which you can do, by the way. Really? Yeah. You can actually decide to get together with some people and build relationships. You don't have to have the church do it for you, right? And I encourage you to do that, to be purposeful at that. And, um, and I look backwards in some things. So some of you um, are participants in these things, and you will say, well, you haven't been there for a while, Terry, and that's true. Um, but, but, but there's other things, like, for example, there, have been, there are people in my life who have helped me replace the roof on my house multiple times, and I've been on their roof. There are people people that have helped paint my house and I've helped paint their house. There's a small group um, that a small number of guys call Guys Night Out and I haven't been there for a long time, but I feel like I could drop in at any time. The thing is that all those guys could look me in the eye and kick me in the tail anytime they feel like they want to. They have that right because we have this relationship. The girls, the ladies that are involved in these relationships, they got the girl stuff that they do. But, but, but this group of people, you know, we've taken vacations together. We've done trips together. And for decades, some of these, we've been involved in each other's lives. We've been involved when there's celebrations, been involved when there's tragedies, when there's failures, when there's rebuilding. We've been involved in some hard stuff. 
One of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life involved something I did as an act of love for one of my close friends. When he had a, a beloved dog who was, I love dogs, <laughs> and he loved his dog, and the dog was ailing, and he needed to be dispatched and couldn't do it, and I did it for him, and that was terribly hard, and I did it because I loved and because of relationship. Here's what's amazing to me. When I look at this group of people that I'm describing in my mind here, these people that I know, every single one of them loves God. They're all committed to church. I believe they're all probably tithing. They're all serving somewhere, and their children love God, and their children are serving. You could not pick five or six couples at random and fast forward three or four decades and see them still married and all of them still loving God. You just, you just can't do that. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a behind-the-scenes to this as well. These people with whom we've developed a relationship over this time, you know, you ready for me to get real a little bit? You can say, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's hear the bad part about this. I mean, sometimes people get on each other's nerves. We do. Sometimes we, somebody will get overlooked or something will happen and someone's toes will get hurt and there's a wounding and an offense and feelings get hurt. Or sometimes a child will do something that they ought not and others will come in and, you know, Dutch rub or whatever it takes. I mean, there have been marriage issues and you just frankly sometimes didn't know whether there would still be a marriage and things got tense and difficult. As imperfect as it is, this group of people are still the kind of, you can call me anytime for any reason, friends. They are. And the part of the reason is because we encourage one another on towards love and good works. We're doing what the Holy Spirit told us to do. And because I believe we don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, we've helped raise each other's kids. They're mostly adults now, and we've helped each other become better. And as imperfect as this community is, because sometimes it comes and goes, it's not always constant all the time, it's who we've become now, it's, it's, it's what we do. And we are all better because of this imperfect community. We're all better because of it. And you might say, well, of course, Pastor Terry, you're going to be better because it's your group, Pastor Terry, it's your involved. No, I said, no. I am not the alpha male of this group. I'm not the originator of this group. I, these people all knew me when I was just plain Terry. Okay? They knew me before. And to most of them, I'm not Pastor Terry. They honor the office. But I'm just Terry. And they knew me way, way, way better. You don't have to be a pastor to have this. You just have to choose to love Jesus and to love people. And you can be a part of something very, very special the thing is this, you have to invest yourselves. This passage, um, Acts 2, they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. You know, if you'll notice what's going on here, this is a small group. They're describing a small group here. You know, and it never, ever happens by accident. It only happens when on purpose... You decide to pour your life into somebody else's life and commit to them. That's when it happens. You have to make that decision. And the second thing is that when you do this, other people are going to look in on that and go, wow, can I get in on that? They will. They'll look at that and say, how can I get on that? Now, I'm going to just briefly say to you, there are opportunities for you right in this place for you to develop relationships. 
but you have to take the initiative. You do. Um, there's recently, it's very, very recently when there was a ministry called Dinners for Six. All you do is sign up. Some was saying, hey, we're going to have food together and build relationships. Probably I'll have another chance. Dinners for Six. Um, there's cookies and coffee every church, every Sunday after church. And the whole purpose of that is just to give opportunities for relationship. There's women's Bible studies. There's a women's retreat coming up. Ladies, this is a great opportunity to build relationship. Great opportunities. And I cannot tell you how many. I've heard so many great testimonies from women who had all kinds of issues, hurts, pains, and they came there, and they not only got ministered to, they built friendships. Ladies, opportunities. Men's, men's groups coming. Where we, we've mentioned that. Um, and I mentioned before, you can create your own small group with whoever is your, in your affinity group. You, you want to have drag racers for Christ? Go after it, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, and one of the best ways for you to build a relationship is to find a place in the church to serve. We can use you to serve somewhere, but that's not why I'm saying this. I'm telling you that the best relationships I built probably happened because I was serving along somebody, along with somebody somewhere in a church. And the Lord just, just takes those things and he, and, he, and he ministers to you and he creates a relationship. Proverbs 18.24 says this. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. If you want to have relationships, you have to be relational. Why did Jesus come? So that we'd have life and have it to the full. And to pay the price for our sins. How did he come? He came eating and drinking. Building relationship with other people. We need each other as Jesus followers. We really do. Let's pray. God, um, I just uh, ask, Lord, for you to stir our hearts um, and get us out of our comfort zone and out of our AC and our garages and our fenced communities. And, um, Lord, help us find those places where you would call us, Lord, to do life together. I want to pray, Lord, for people who in this room are sitting here right now. Maybe they're surrounded by people, yet they're lonely. Lord, your word says not only should, if we want to show ourselves, have friends, we have to show ourselves friendlies, but that scripture goes on to say that there is a friend who is closer than a brother, and that is you, Christ. I pray, Lord, you would minister to lonely, broken hearts today, but that, Lord, you would also open doors of opportunity and that we would somehow find the temerity, the, the courage to step through and to actually make a way. Lord, for people in this room who are thinking, you know, I've been feeling like I need to build relationships, Lord, give them the opportunity to actually step out and say, hey, let's, um, let's get our kids and go to the zoo together. Let's, let's spend some time together and see what the Lord will do with the relationship to make those opportunities on our own. And Lord, I want to also give you thanks and praise this morning for, for salvation. And, and, and Lord, for people whose spirit would say, respond to the opportunity for eternity in heaven, that Lord, you would speak to them and draw them in. In the name of Jesus. Would you stand and sing perfect love with us?